Welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. Hi, it's Colin here and um, welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. Last week we had a great discussion with uh, Philip Tracy of Plexus Law and this week we're going to be finishing off the, the interview. We spoke quite a bit last uh, last time about legal privilege and the sentencing guidelines and and what to do once an incident's happened. You know that was uh, uh, and there was some really really great advice that uh, that was given about getting the legal team, you know, getting getting people of Philip's caliber involved as early as possible. What we're going to move on to a little bit is is some things like you know personal prosecution, corporate manslaughter. I'm going to shut up now. You know, let's get back in. Let's have a listen to what Philip's uh, got to say, and then I'll uh, I'll see you on the the other side of the interview. Thank you very much. Environmental health, a little bit more unpredictable when they are dealing with health and safety matters, but primarily because that's not their comfort zone. Mm. Um, they are more used to, in my experience, dealing with you know, things like food hygiene, food safety, or noise abatement. But when they're managing or investigating a, a, a health and safety incident, they're, they're not as experienced. Uh, and that can make it more difficult because they can be more aggressive mm-hmm. because they feel a little bit out of their comfort zone and they think they can just hit you with a big stick and you should yep, you fall over yourself. Uh, that can make make it a bit more fraught. Mm-hmm. But again, we, I, try and, I will try and speak to them early on and explain what I'm going to be doing and see if we can't ha- have a meeting of minds. But, you know, we are... A, polar ends of the spectrum once an incident has happened mm-hmm. as to our respective roles. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are prosecuting, I am defending. Do you have any, any sort of involvement at all with the family of the, of the injured person or the deceased? I mean, does, or do you tend, does it tend not to be an area that you get, get heavily involved with? No, it would be rare. be rare for me to have any contact with the family. Mm-hmm. They will invariably have their own advisors who are there to protect their interests. Mm-hmm. We may meet the family, you know, if there's been a fatality. The first stage of the formal processes will be an inquest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we would meet the family at the inquest. But again, there wouldn't often be a great deal of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And of course, the family, the representatives of the family will be attending that, any criminal prosecution and of course they may, may then be pursuing a civil claim for damages and do you get involved in the civil side on i i do i mean yeah. one of my you know uh, i mentioned three court processes there mm-hmm. and go and we seek to manage all of those there'll be managing the inquest because that's where we can ha- have some impact as to how the evidence is actually presented then there may be the criminal prosecution arising out of the inquest and then there's a civil claim from the family, and we will deal with all of that. And the evidence which we're gathering at the outset is of benefit to each of those three mm. processes. So you get a, I mean, you know, you're getting a three-in-one package in effect. Right. Um, yep. You do sometimes have to be careful as to whether there's going to be any conflict between the company and the insurers on the con- conduct of the criminal claim and the conduct of the civil claim. Mm-hmm. Invariably, actually, though I don't think there is, there's usually, there might be some commercial tensions, but if you, again, have early dialogue, you can manage that because there's usually a common interest as to 
how both the criminal proceedings should be protected and or, or dealt with and the civil claim. And then the final part of it, of course, is that it, although you may be the duty holder in the firing line from the regulator's point of view, there may have been others. You may have subcontracted to others who may have been also at fault but may not have been facing a prosecution mm -hmm. uh, that from a civil perspective we would be seeking a recovery or a contribution. So you've got all of this in your mind from the moment you're appointed mm -hmm. and how this is going to play out, how you're shaping the evidence if you can uh, as to how it plays out in each of the various courtrooms that you might end up and as you know Colin sometimes the stakes it's not a quick process. Not at all. Uh, I, have to, I have to say to people at the outset, look, you've mm -hmm. got to prepare yourself that this is not going to be over mm. in two, three or six months. No. It's going to be two, three or six years. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, and no, prepare that. yourself accordingly. Mm -hmm. Are you finding that there's, um, there's, there's more emphasis now towards personal prosecutions and things like that? How, how, how is that looking? Yes, there is. What concerns me about it is that it's moving down a tier rather than up a tier. Okay. Um, so I've dealt in the last few years with personal prosecutions against site foremen and uh, so site manager, but not necessarily a site manager of a very large organisation, but just a medium-sized medium organisation, where the, these are, are you know, although very experienced individuals, it never occurred to them that they may be facing a, pro a personal prosecution for an accident mm -hmm. on a work site. And we defended both of those and successfully did. One, in fact, both were, were fatal cases and one was a manslaughter charge and the other was um, a much lesser charge. I thought they were unjustified and unfair to prosecuting individuals at that level and uh, again, the impact, of course, that that has on them uh, without, again, trying to take away from the tragedy of the death is mm -hmm. very significant, yeah. you, you know. Uh, and that's a trend I wouldn't like to see increased. Mm. Um, and, that, and that's not to say, you know, bad practices shouldn't be discouraged. The only time where I've come across deliberate wrongdoing by a manager who was rightly prosecuted, but it, it, it was out and out appalling behaviour, we're using young, underaged people in a, an incredibly unsafe system mm -hmm. simply to cut cost. Okay. Mm -hmm. That individual was rightly prosecuted and there was very little, and that was a long time ago, mm -hmm. I wasn't acting for that individual but I believe they did go to jail. But those sort of circumstances where there is deliberate flouting of the law, there's no excuse for that. Mm -hmm. But there's, again, very blurred lines between those who are out doing, trying to do their job and an accident occurs and there's no intention, there's no, you know, there's no cost cutting, none of that. For those to be in the firing line of a prosecution, I, I think, needs, needs more scrutiny. And that's an example of the Corporate Manslaughter Act targeting the wrong people. Mm. You know, no large organisation has ever been prosecuted under the Corporate Manslaughter Act, or at least successfully prosecuted. Mm -hmm. Whereas there have been plenty of very small businesses, they suddenly find they are. So the HSE will say, oh, well, we've now had, I forget what the figure may be, 20 or 30 successful prosecutions. But that's not against the 
target that that act was brought in to target. Because mm-hmm. it, was, it was to do with, um, is it controlling mind? Controlling mind. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the reality of the, the larger the company, the more difficult it is to identify a controlling mind. Mm. Because there used to be various levels of management, various committees may be set up. So it's never any one individual. It's never any two, three or four individuals. It may be 12, 13 plus. Mm. Uh, whereas the smaller the business, the controlling mind is is actually quite obvious. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So uh, I th- thought at the time, and I may have said to your committee, it's a, I think it's a poor piece of legislation, mm-hmm. uh, but it's there and we've got to deal with it. Yeah. I would like to see it reviewed as to the impact, both not just on the individuals, but, but the economic impact I was talking about earlier, but business failing mm-hmm. after prosecutions. Because one of the things I realised as well when I got a bit more experience is that when you're involved in the, the immediate incident and managing that, but then managing everybody through, the human spirit digs in and says, well, I'm in a crisis, so I'll, I'll get through it. It's when it's over mm. and it's all finished and whatever, fines. Or, that's also time you need to remind the business, now look, because there'll be a sigh of relief in one sense, mm-hmm. but also there could be a just, I've had enough. Yep. And they... Those involved may need support at that point, even if that's six years after the event, mm-hmm. giving them some support, whether you know whether it's um, counselling support or medical support like that, to prepare them for. Oh, I'm I'm done, and that's when they might have a breakdown. And does your business support people in that way, or, or? that wouldn't be for us? No. That's something I've learned from experience that I'd be mindful of and would say to the client. You may want to contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to go to your doctor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to take some support. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm not a counsellor and I'm not a social service expert at all. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the insurers will have contacts. The three, they, they, they will be able to again where they can help with uh, counselling support services. Um, and you know, I'm not advocating everybody rushing out on counselling support services. Some mm-hmm. people are able to deal with it. Mm. Uh, and just crack on with life, mm-hmm. and they're very strong individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you've usually been through a, a potentially life-changing event, mm-hmm. and people shouldn't be afraid to take mm-hmm. appropriate counselling at, at the right time. And as I say, from experience, I've just realised that, you know, I think, great job done. Mm. I'm immediately moving on to the next That's one. Fun. And, of course, for me, it's I, I'm used to it. I don't say you ever get immune to the emotional trouble but you you get used to it mm-hmm. and you're better able to deal with it but for the client it's hopefully the first and only time that they'll be through it mm-hmm. so it, just be mindful that once everybody breathes that sigh of relief that that doesn't actually that end up with exactly, the exact time when there's, yeah. there's a bit more support needs to go in there yeah. it's interesting you say that though I mean from your perspective then in your business obviously you've got you've got a team of people that are yeah. working with you how do you manage that side, the you know the the softer side of of your team getting involved in, in in incidents that could be pretty horrible? I do run internal training for the team, and I do when when I'm sending somebody out. You know, one of the things I remind them of, and it's as I've said earlier, is that look, don't just talk about the law. Mm-hmm. You must remember what's just happened, and you know it might not be a stranger. Mm-hmm. So you've got a, uh, I, I don't know, I've sat on interviews, whether they're patient, police and criminal evidence act interviews with the police or the 
um, health and safety executive with very experienced, often construction workers, people you would describe as tough, no-nonsense guys. There's not been a time when there haven't been tears in those interviews. Not once, mm -hmm. because of what you're dealing with. Yep. And from the lawyer's point of view, it's, it, you know, you've got to prepare your, your staff for that, that you know, if I'm sending out a junior who's going to sit in on an interview if it's taking place with a 30-year veteran, I said, look, this guy might burst out crying. Mm -hmm. You've got to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. And you've got to step in and take control. And that's, you know, if you see that coming, that's the time to say, let's all take five. Mm -hmm. yep. The client needs a break. It's not just because there's a, he just needs a break. Uh, and to be fair to the interviewers, this will come back to the, 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 the fairness point of the HSE, they will not object to that, that type of approach. But yeah, you, you do try and instill into your, I do into my staff that you've got to remember very importantly the human aspect of all of this whilst at the same time dispensing legal advice. I mean, I would have gone through it at start when I would have turned up and started talking about Section 2 of the Health and Safety Work Act and Regulation 4 and then everybody going, what's this all about? Mm. You don't, the time for that is yeah. six weeks down the line when you're doing your first advice to the company. Mm -hmm. At the time, it's just trying to calm everybody down. Mm. No, no, that was good. Um, you know, great, great stuff, great stuff there. You've mentioned a couple of times about um, how, you, how you see maybe some of the, uh, the sentencing guidelines and the, and, and the corporate manslaughter affecting the sort of smaller businesses, which is probably where it wasn't always aimed at. Yeah. How do we go about making those changes then? What's, uh, I mean, it, do, do you as a group of, of, of solicitors, you know, go and give some representation? How does, that, how does it work? I mean, we do. I mean, usually when there's a, um, you know, with, so with the sentencing guidelines, an example, there's always a consultation. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Sentencing Guidelines Council would publish consultation. And is there, I'm not too sure if there's one due. can't recall now if they said there's one due shortly. But um, that will be published either on this, there will be the Sentencing Guidelines website, the HSE website, probably other government websites. should filter through to business organisations uh, and individual lawyers, but also there's a health and safety lawyers group where there's an opportunity for, as they say, stakeholders, those interests to make representations mm -hmm. about are there areas of the law that need to be changed, are there representations that that can be made. And we do it either individually as law firms practicing in this area or through the group of Health and Safety Lawyers Association uh, and the, ins the insurers, the ABI Association or the CBI our Federation of Small Businesses, those types of organisations would also make representation on behalf of its members. So there is an opportunity there. Mm -hmm. It's always a question of timing as to, you know, you know, this will then fit into the bigger politics of things, but it's a question of timing. Is, is, is there an opportunity to change? Mm -hmm. And that, lots of things will go into that, just the current business climate, economic climate. So I'm not too sure we're going to see any significant change in the short term, mm -hmm. but it is kept under review, and um, you know, we do look out for opportunities when we say, "Well, this might be the time we should be suggesting there should be some changes." Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very, to be, to be fair, it's a very difficult area to ever look if, as if you're on the winning side and trying to suggest that mm -hmm. health and safety has gone too far, for example, or 
some of the myths you see in the media about mm. health and safety gone mad. You know, that's not a healthy approach either. No. Um, people should be entitled to go to work feeling that they're going to be health and safe. Mm. Uh, but businesses, you know, the, the system we have, it's a capitalist system. We are, ought to be able to run our businesses safely, but at, but at a profit, so that uh, if it starts becoming that regulation is too much. And so, for example, one of the points that I said should be looked at the last time the government, previous government, had a review was the no-fault criminal liability. Okay. Where a business could still have done everything right, but because of the way the law is, if one of its members of staff had a bad day or whatever and made a mistake, the business is liable for that. Mm. And that's one of the things that, uh, one of the areas that businesses would often say, well, why, why am I liable for that? Mm-hmm. You know, I did have my systems in place. I did train that guy. Yeah. I did use the right equipment. And this is usually around lifting, lifting regulations. But the law says you're, if the accident happens, you're liable for that. Mm-hmm. Not always. You can still have a defence in some circumstances. And that, that to me, I, I thought was an area which should be looked at because that's, there's a huge cost to the company doing that. The company is spending the right money and yet still... But the answer to that is that's a form of social justice, mm-hmm. that the company is the only organisation that can make the change. Yep. And in the scheme of things, in terms of impact on society, its perceived view is that it's the company who should be mm. taking that pain rather than not. Um, and there's an argument for that. I, I think that, though, needs to be looked at mm-hmm. more, yep. m- more closely. Okay, okay, thanks for that. Um, obviously, you get involved in, in, in quite a, a large number of, uh, of, of incidents um, as a business. Are there some trends? Are there some some activities or, or, or types of incident that that keep on cropping up? Or I'm not so sure I can say trends, because often each 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 incident can be quite quite unique as to in terms of its cause. Right. The effect of it, of course, is usually what is common is that somebody's been badly hurt or uh, killed. I'm just trying to think through of the recent cases. I suppose what's still, I wouldn't say surprising, that's not right, but the number of accidents that I seem to deal with with mobile cranes or lifting equipment, either falling over or not being set up correctly, and then not being maintained. Mm. And I suppose if I I thought, I wouldn't quite call it a trend, but a common theme Mm -hmm. is preventative maintenance. A number of cases are serious accidents arising because the equipment hasn't been properly maintained. And and that in itself can highlight certain issues because if you take the lifting equipment, for example, where there is a statutory program that you have to uh, have it certified, the particular equipment certified, well, I think it's every six months. Uh, And it's an example of paperwork recently in a case where it was being done but if you think about it, that sort of testing, which came home to me in the most recent case, but I started thinking back of other lifting cases, it's, a, it's, it's the equivalent of your MOT mm-hmm. for your vehicle, which costs, what, I forget, 50 or 60 pounds, might be a bit more now. Mm-hmm. But that's a similar sort of price you pay for a 
test in your lifting equipment, which isn't very much. Mm. And therefore, the specialist that you're going out to is getting paid a fairly small amount of money to do what is effect a health check. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be looked at mm. in terms of is that, fit, is that system fit for purpose? Mm-hmm. So see, we recently had an example where the business was carrying out all the appropriate checks, getting the certificates to say the equipment is fit for purpose, and it failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that could be, you could say that's down to whoever was carrying out the tests, wasn't doing it correctly. But I think that should be looked at as, is the system right? Yeah. You know, are we paying appropriately to make sure those checks mm-hmm. are being done thoroughly? Mm-hmm. Or are we paying so little that it's just not economic for an individual to conduct them thoroughly because you wouldn't be able to do the business? One of the things that I found in my experience is... Um, is that uh, things like lifting equipment checks and, and electrical inspections and pressure system checks, sometimes the the report comes in and it gets put in the filing cabinet and nobody has a look at it, nobody reads it. And I, and I went to one site um, up in the, up in Scotland and I just asked them a question, oh, have you got your that overhead gantry crane? I said, oh, have you got your, um, your inspection for your overhead gantry crane? He said, yep, yeah, no problem. They went in and got it out and I opened it up and read it. And the opening line was, we were unable to inspect this crane, right. and so it yeah. must not be used after this state. And, and that was like six months previous. And uh, they immediately, fair do something, they, they stopped They stopped the operation and they got somebody to come in. But, but you can fall into that trap, can't you, of the report turning up and, and, and not looking at it. Actually, Colin, that's, that is a very good point. And I do see that on a too frequent a basis where they come to say, oh, well, let's get a report done. Now let's go, and in it comes with various criticisms, and they don't get follow through, mm. and that is a disaster for the company. Mm. You know, you are opening yourself up to severe criticism, and indeed, that's the sort of situation where the managers are opening themselves up to personal prosecution. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, where if they if this is coming in for the purpose of, of, of a whether it's a production manager or a site form or site safety um, site manager, to look at that and they'd say, oh, yeah, I'll deal with that. I'll deal with that next week. I'll deal mm-hmm. with that. And then suddenly you know what happens. Mm-hmm. It never gets looked at. Mm-hmm. Then they need to be thinking, oh, I might be in trouble here. Mm-hmm. And if I was in that, if I get involved in such situations, I sometimes have to say to the individual, you're going to need separate representation. Mm-hmm. But th- th- that is a point which happens more often than it should. Mm. If you've gone to the trouble to get the report, yep. goodness sake, read it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And yeah. follow through in the recommendations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, if you think of the cost of what these invest, not just in the human terms, but just financial cost of what a serious incident mm-hmm. will have to have to the business, and never mind that you may have some insurance that covers some of the costs, it doesn't won't cover a fine, but just your, the time and effort from the company's point of view in dealing with this, the difference between spending five thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds, whatever it is, up front, mm-hmm. compared to the million pounds plus mm. that you may be facing after the event, the mm. sums speak for themselves. They do, don't they? Without uh, doubt. So uh, yes. If you get a report, read it and follow it. <laughs> Brilliant. No, great, uh, great, great advice. One last question. I mean, where do you see where do you see things going from a health and safety perspective in the uh, you know in the UK? You... 
I never know how to answer this question. I can certainly say this, it's not going away. Right. <laughs> and I don't think there's going to be any less scrutiny on uh, businesses from a health and safety point of view. I think there is much more awareness of um, health and safety, particularly in the business world. The concern I sometimes have, and this comes back to my point about health and safety myths, which I don't agree with, that we shouldn't scaremonger mm -hmm. in this area, but I see an attempt to move health and safety regulation into our voluntary activities. Right. So I deal with a lot of amateur sports clubs and sporting activities, and I often see individuals or organisers get involved saying, oh, you must risk assess this, you must risk assess that, uh, and the law requires The law doesn't require you to do any of that in an amateur, voluntary situation mm. as opposed to a workplace situation. Okay. And uh, it's, it's back to the point you can be creating, you, those of us that take part in and most people give up their time freely to organise sporting clubs, sporting activities, and they are regulated, in fact, usually by the Environmental Health mm -hmm. Office, who I do see occasionally will throw their weight around mm -hmm. uh, in situations where, sadly, they've got no business to do so. Mm -hmm. And you're imposing, I say, a workplace regulatory environment onto a voluntary amateur leisure environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's not to say the leisure industry is, shouldn't be regulated. It should be, and it is. But it's a much more, it's a much wider issue, and it's a social issue. Do we want our leisure activities mm. to be regulated? Yeah. And I, for one, don't. But that's that's a a bigger issue. It's not just for the health and safety. Mm. That would be an issue for Parliament. Yeah. To, mm -hmm. And I, I've had that where I've had to deal with individuals who've been very seriously and tragically injured in the sports environment advocating and campaigning for change because they say, well, there, nobody actually checks mm. how sports clubs are run. And I've met with MPs on this issue to say, well, that's right, but if you want that change, then mm. it's the chamber is the place to do it. Yeah. But that would be a seismic shift. Yeah, wouldn't it? Uh, and I think that, that would be a shift too far because mm. that would create... Mayhem. It would be great for me, I'm afraid. But that's anything. Any time a lawyer says it's great for me, you know it's bad for society. <laughs> so uh, I, I would try and stay clear of that. Yeah, no, that's yeah. brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, have you uh, have you got any any events or anything coming up that you'd like to like to tell us about or the business? Well, oh, goodness, I didn't make any checks. My marketing manager is going to kill me now. I think. <laughs> um, we don't. I, I don't think we've got anything. But we do run. Seminars are a regular basis. So we put them on our website. In fact, it's probably down to I'm joined, we had a health and safety seminar last year and we probably should be having one this autumn, which mm -hmm. uh, I ought to be organising, uh, which I haven't <laughs> done. So don't, don't make sure my, my marketing manager doesn't watch this. Um, but we, we, we would just run regular seminars. We've got mm -hmm. one coming up on how to run PACE, Police and Criminal Evidence Act. Um, actual um, interviews in September, which mm -hmm. uh, myself and a colleague will do. And that's a good example as well. Beware of those that turn up saying, I can advise you on PACE interviews. Mm. It's quite a skill, and you need to be very comfortable that you're, one, your lawyer knows what he's doing mm -hmm. in a PACE interview. Because I'll leave you with this, a PACE interview is the trial. Right. So if you're being given, you know, if the trial might not happen for 
three years after the PACE interview, but the PACE interview is part of the trial. Mm. So yeah, you should bear that in mind. So yeah, that we always happy to do seminars. I've certainly enjoyed, enjoyed this. I don't often get to talk so freely without a judge interrupting me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'm just you. trying to keep quiet. And, all that. <laughs> and how, um, how do people get hold of you? Well, our website, Plexus Law, or my, my email address is philip.tracy at plexuslaw.co.uk. My details are on our website. And I'm not going to give out my telephone number. You no. don't want me to do that. No, no. Um, but yes, if people want to make inquiries, I'd be happy, happy to help. Of course, it might not always be free. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. Thank you ever so much for your time. No, not at all. Thank you. I've, yeah. I've certainly enjoyed that. And if there's, if you get any queries, let me know. Okay. Thank you very much. Colin, Cheers. good to talk Brilliant. to you. Brilliant. I really want to thank Philip for uh, giving up his uh, time to come and have a chat with me. We had a great hour or so together and we discussed a lot of stuff. Legal privilege, the sentencing guidelines, you know, what to do once an accident or an incident's happened, how you keep your accident reports factual and relevant. He also talked a bit about environmental health, personal personal prosecution, and, and as he said, he, he can see more of that coming in. And, um, and you know, and, and people don't go into business. They never, they never enter into business thinking that they could end up in prison. So it's really important that people... You know, just take a step back from their from their busy lives. Take a step back from what they get they're doing, and really challenge the way that they're doing things in the workplace, so that they don't put themselves and they don't put their colleagues in you know a risk. You know, and it really is about about the businesses taking on the ownership, taking on the responsibility to make sure that the process and the system and the way that they do things is there. But it's also down to the individuals. You know, the individual workers to really challenge themselves as well and you know and, and don't just dive in there and, and if they're doing a job that they think is unsafe or if they're doing an activity that you know that, that could be hazardous could be risky you know just don't do it you know take a step back talk to the management and get the system get the process get the cross checks in place to stop it uh stop it turning into something really nasty hey i hope you've enjoyed uh these last couple of episodes um I will be talking to, to Philip again at some point in the future. And, uh, you know, please take the opportunity to, to check his business out, you know, check his company out. You know, they have been invaluable to me when, when, I've, uh, when I've been up against it. And, um, you know, and they could be there to, to help you as well. Thank you very much. So Plexus Law have just asked us to put a little uh, disclaimer on this podcast. Whilst we take care to ensure that the material in this podcast is correct, it is made available for information only and no representation is given as to its quality, accuracy, fitness for purpose, or usefulness. In particular, the contents of this podcast do not give specific legal advice, should not be relied on as doing so, and are not substitute for specific advice relevant to a particular circumstances. Plexus Law accepts no responsibility for any loss which may arise from reliance on information or materials published in this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business.